Again, thanks for being here today. Hope you're being encouraged, empowered by your time with us. I hope that happens now as we enter into our time of uh, studying the Bible. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series right now entitled By the Book. And if you haven't been with us or maybe missed the last couple of weeks, here's the basic gist of this series. What we're trying to do in this series is take an in-depth look at the issues that inundate our lives. And we've chosen three in particular, sex, money, and power. Now, why have we chosen those three issues of all that are available to you? Well, those tend to dominate the world, don't they? You go to any bookstore, any magazine rack, and, and the magazines on the rack or the books on the shelves, those things that are being published are typically revolving around one or two or all three of those things. And our interest isn't necessarily in learning what all of these books have to say about those things, although there's some important information in there. Our, our hope and our goal is to learn what this book has to say about it. My, my hope is that over the course of the series, you're seeing that not only does the Bible directly deal with and address these three particular issues, but it does so in the only way that is life-giving, in the only way that is empowering to you, because it takes these good gifts, which have been given to us by a good God, and it helps us to not make them gods. It helps us to not make these gifts more important than the giver of the gifts. You with me? And so we're trying to figure out, what does it mean to live and enjoy and experience these three things Sex, money, and power by the book. What does it like to do those things by the book? We're in our third installment of our conversation on money, and I'm excited uh, for you to hear from a friend this morning uh, on that topic. Let me pray for us one more time, and then we'll dive into this. Father, we believe that your words are truth, and that the truth sets us free, that the truth enables us and empowers us to live the way we were intended to live, a good way, an abundant way, Father God, a way that is a blessing to others. And so we ask now that you will teach us and show us exactly what that means. Uh, we give it all to you. The songs we've just sung out together, as Kim said, hope that they're not just words, but hopefully they're a declaration and a cry of our heart. We want to give it all to you, even our checkbook, even our pocketbook, even our wallet. We want to give that to you. We can trust you with that. You are good, and, and we want to give those things to you as well. So help us to do that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are a lot of ways, if you think about it, to show that you are a Christian. You can put a little bumper sticker on a, on a car or a window decal of some sort, right? You can blast Christian music from your headphones, from your house, open up the windows. You can put little Christian taglines or sayings on your email signature. Here's my most favorite. And God said, let there be beards, and there was. Seems appropriate for that gentleman, does it not? Or you can even get a Christian phone for your new iPhone, right? A Christian-based cover. There are a lot of ways to show you're a Christian, but nothing says, I believe in Jesus, or I trust God louder than how you handle your finances. You see, in God we trust isn't just something that's written on our money. It's something that we prove in how we spend our money, in what we do with our money. There is a strong connection between our faith and our Finances. Put it another way, there's a strong connection between our commitment to Christ and what we do with our cash. And don't just take my word for it, take Jesus' word for it. You see, he spoke about money a lot. According to some, one-sixth of his teachings, along with one-third of his parables, deal directly with money and financial issues. So according to the Messiah, money matters. And it matters for a lot of different reasons. But it seems that at the top of the list, in, in Jesus' mind, it matters because money has this unique ability to control you. 
Money has this unique ability to enslave you. Money can become a master. And the problem with the master of money is he doesn't play nice with others. He doesn't like to share his throne with others. And so when you are worshiping money, the making of money, the spending of money, the saving of money, whatever it might be, wherever you are on that continuum, if you are worshiping those throughs, those things through your thought life, through your behaviors, through your habits, well, then you're incapable of worshiping anything else, including the Lord. And so Jesus says, you've got to be careful with how you spend your money. You see, money can infect us. It can literally contaminate us. A study done by the University of Louisville a few years ago found this, that researchers discovered 13% of all of our coins, along with 42% of all paper money, guess what? They carry disease-producing organisms. Mmm, yummy. Makes you look a little different at that collection plate as it goes through, right? Like, ew. Like, but, but when you know that money can be dirty in different ways, it makes you just look at it a little differently, doesn't it? Maybe when you're buying your lunch this afternoon, you're a little more careful with, with how you're using it or in what ways you're touching it. Well, I think Jesus wanted us to do that, but take it even to a deeper level. He wanted us to think differently about money because of the dangers that exist in it. According to Jesus himself, money can go from being a God to actually a very good thing when you use it the way God wants you to use it. But here's the problem with that. And even in our series thus far, we've been talking about money on a pretty theoretical level, have we not? It's kind of a deep biblical principles, ideas, truths that are up here in the heavens, if you will. But what does it look like to, to, to really honor God with all of your money? We talk about tithing and 10%. We'll talk a bit more about that this morning. But what about the other 90%? Are we just supposed to kind of figure that out on our own? Is it just trial and error? Is that up to us? Like, God, you get this, and then I get to do whatever the heck I want to do with all of this? No, I think that there's very practical teaching throughout the Scripture on how we spend all of our money, what you do with every piece of it. So I want to get real this morning. I want to talk about real life and, and not just hypothetical or theoretical stuff. I want to talk about very practical stuff. And here's why, because the book of Proverbs really is, is, is why we do this. I mean, the book of Proverbs stands alone in all the other or from all the other books in Scripture. The book of Proverbs is different from the other 65. Uh, it talks very openly, very honestly, very candidly about life. And, and it's just very blunt. Let me give you a couple of examples of how practical and blunt Proverbs can be. Proverbs 25, verses 16 and 17. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much, you'll vomit. Visit your neighbor's house sparingly, because too much of you, and they'll vomit. <laughs> Kid you not, that's in there. Truth, truth. Proverbs 27, 14, if you wake your friend early in the morning by shouting, rise and shine, it's going to sound like a curse, not a blessing. Teenagers are like, yeah, parents, listen up. Problem is it wasn't early in the morning. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon when they said that to you. But anyway, Proverbs 27, 15, a nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off and you can't get away from it. Truth, right? I mean, come on, yeah. Nobody says amen in that one. So you see, the, the Bible gets practical. Yes, it talks about deep, overarching truth, but it also gets very real and very practical. And so in the spirit of Proverbs, I want to get real practical today in talking about money. I want us to seek out some godly wisdom and figure out what it looks like to be faithful, to be uh, good stewards of all of our finances, not just the part that we, that we give. 
So to do that, I'm gonna ask a friend of mine named Paul Vitek to come and join me up on stage. Paul, come on up here, my friend. Paul and his sweet wife, Lynn, have been members of our church for a while now, and uh, they are amazing folks. And to be honest with you, Paul is probably the wisest person I've met when it comes to financial stewardship and, and financial issues that are connected to faith. I'm excited for him to share some, some thoughts and some, some words with you. Um, he's been trained in Crown Financial Ministries as well as in Financial Peace University. Both are Christian-based uh, financial stewardship groups. And so this man, not only from personal experience but professional training, he's met with lots of couples to deal with their stuff. I just want to sit at his feet for a while and learn. I think he's got some really practical, helpful, godly advice for us this morning. Sound okay? So if you don't like it, it's Paul's fault, basically. It's not mine this morning. Okay. Uh, hey, this morning, I am, I've just got to brag on this guy for a second because he has already sacrificed for this church. He is a diehard Chicago Cubs fan. And he was going to be at the game last night. He had an opportunity to be at the game last night, but he chose to not be so he could be here with us. Come on, tell me that's not faithfulness right there, right? I have a confession. Okay, all right. I did consider backing out. <laughs> and I called a good friend of mine, a fellow Cubs fan, and I said, do you think watching the Cubs go to the World Series for the first time in 71 years, first time in our lifetime, is worth it to break a commitment to the church and risk burning in hell forever? <laughs> wow. What do you say? And his response was, if they win, you're covered because hell's going to freeze over. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if they lose, you've got a problem. Yeah, you're done. So yeah. like every skeptical Cub fan, here, See, right? here yeah, I am. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, we'll take any way we can get you, buddy. Hey, let me just throw some questions out at you. Take them wherever you want. Um, first service, we tried to cater it a little bit more to an older crowd. This service, we want to cater it to families and, and, and teens and stuff. So uh, you've been through a lot. You've had financial background with business, personal, obviously, been in training in financial crown or financial peace and crown ministries. Two or three major truths that you have just clung to and learned over the years that are kind of your guiding uh, truths. Well, I, I tend to, for right or wrong, I tend to think about finance from two perspectives, the biblical and the practical. And I think we're okay as long as there's no conflict between the two. But when it comes to biblical finance, I think the guiding principle is understanding that everything we might think we own is actually owned by God and he has made us stewards of the resources that he's given us. In fact, not only the resources that he's given us, but the capability to earn mm -hmm. those resources is a gift from God. You know, Lynn and I um, go back to Texas a lot. We lived there for over 30 years. Our son John still lives there. And when we travel back to Texas, we have a friend who has an extra car, and he lets us borrow that car when we come to town. And regardless of what condition that car is in when he gives it to us, we always return it after taking it through the car wash <laughs> and filling it with gas. And we do that for two reasons. One, we want him to know that we appreciate what he's done for us. And two, we want him to trust us to borrow it again. <laughs> Excuse me. And in fact, I'm hoping that instead of that 1998 Suburban, one of these days he lets me borrow that new Mercedes he has. <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, when you understand that you're a steward of what the Lord has given you, it really changes your attitude. It changed mine from one of, you mean I have to give 10% to the church? to, you mean, I've been blessed with all this and all you want in return is 10%? Hmm. I get to keep 90%? 
it's a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's kind of the guiding principle from a biblical perspective. Mm -hmm. From a practical standpoint, I think there's one real key that can prevent us from uh, doing the things God wants us to do with our resources, and that's debt. I think we need to avoid debt mm. uh, wherever we can. And I know you want to speak a little bit yeah. more about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll go in more depth on that one. I love Deuteronomy 8.17. It says this, speaking to, to Paul's point. You may say to yourself, well, by my power and my strength, the work of my hands, I've produced all this wealth. But remember, the Lord your God, it's he who's even given you the ability to produce wealth. So that drive, that work ethic, those opportunities, maybe you put in all of those hours, but it's still not yours. It's still his and that shift from I have to give away to I get to keep X amount, that's, that's a pretty amazing shift. Hard to do, but it's possible. Let's talk about debt. You brought that up. Uh, why is it so bad? What, what's the problem with debt? What do you see people struggling with in terms of debt? Well, you, know, you referenced Proverbs. I think Proverbs has a lot of great guidance uh, about uh, biblical finance. Uh, in Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich shall rule over the poor, and the borrow is borrower is slave to the lender. Mm. And when you think about the predicament of a slave, a slave doesn't control his or her life. Somebody else mm. dictates what a slave will do and when they will do it. Mm. And that's, that's what happens when you borrow money. Uh, my wife Lynn and I, throughout our 36 years of marriage, have, have tried to avoid debt wherever possible. And, and uh, I'm not going to say it was because of a biblical motivation. It was because we didn't want to be encumbered. We didn't want to be burdened mm. by money that we owed to somebody else. When you, when you take on debt, you give up your flexibility. You increase your stress level. Uh, I'll share a quick story. When, when I first got out of school, I got a job with a Fortune 100 company, and, and I did well in that company. I advanced pretty rapidly. And as I got closer and closer to upper management, I realized that their ethical values and mine weren't necessarily in sync. And there came a time where I was asked to do something that I really didn't want to do. Uh, and and I, I said to my boss, no, I'm not mm. going to do it. And his response was, well, you have no choice. The implication, of course, being if you don't do it, you're fired. Mm. And my response was, no, I do have a choice. I quit. <laughs> and an hour and a half later, I walked into the house, and Lynn was sitting on the couch feeding our six-week-old firstborn child. <laughs> Timing, Paul. Timing. And, I, and I told her what had happened, and her response was, you know, you're a talented guy. It's all going to work out. I support you. Mm. Um, we were able to do that because we weren't burdened by debt. I don't think I could have walked out of that job if I had a credit card bill due in three weeks or, or an excessive mortgage payment that I had to meet. Uh, so, so not having that debt gave us uh, that, that flexibility. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to think that our response would have been the same. Uh, we don't know. Uh, but, but not having that debt gave us that kind of flexibility and maintained that flexibility. Over the last year, I've seen several members of this congregation that have been called to serve the Lord in various ministries around the world. And I don't know what their personal financial situation was, but I feel pretty confident that they weren't burdened by a lot of debt, and that's what allowed them to, to uh, follow that call. Uh, people in, in missions typically don't make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. You know, if they had a, a pressing debt level, they wouldn't have been able to, to, to follow that call. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, not having debt maintains the flexibility uh, in your life to honor God and to follow his call when it comes. Yeah. 
I mean, debt, it's just the natural thing to do, though. We're inundated, aren't we, with opportunities to get into debt. I mean, debt is just the way of the world, Paul. What are you talking about? Come on, finance it. You're absolutely right. You know, Thomas asked me about three weeks ago if I would have this conversation with him. And when he did that, I decided I would start to collect all of the credit card offers that came in the mail over the course of that couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And here they are. Here's 0% financing for 14 months. Here's 20000 bonus miles, 50,000 bonus miles, <laughs> 60,000, 100,000, and here's 14 months no financing and 50,000 free miles. So we're, we're I'll inundated. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. That looks good. Yeah. <laughs> we're inundated with opportunities to take on debt. It's relatively easy mm -hmm. to take on debt, um, and, and it's, it's hard to avoid. Every time I go to Target and I check out, I have to politely tell the cashier that despite the 5% back you're gonna me, give me, no, I really don't want that credit card. You know, we're also inundated with advertisements that try to sell us things we don't need or more than we, we need. You know, there's, there's a Michelin tire commercial that says, you know, Michelin tires are the only one that are gonna keep your wife and baby safe on the road late at night. You know, the implication being, if you don't buy these expensive Michelin tires, you're not a good father. Mm. You know, we could all drive a Ford, but Matthew McConaughey tells us we deserve to drive a Lincoln. And he's right. He is right. Some of us, some of us do. So it's easy to be tempted by, you know, by credit that's easy to obtain and by offers to buy more than we need. So yeah. it's not easy uh, to avoid debt. Tell me about some of the unavoidable ones that are out there. I mean, the average family, um, they're saying statistically $8,000 of credit card debt uh, by age and younger uh, college debt, school loans, I mean, it's just killer, car debt, house debt. Come on, you can't get away from it, can you? Or is there types that you can avoid? Do I have to buy a house with cash? I mean, what am I doing there? Yeah, I think most forms of debt are avoidable. I, think, I don't think it's realistic to think we're going to go through life uh, today without any debt, but I think a lot of forms of debt uh, are avoidable. Certainly credit card debt, you know, the, the primary thing you need to do, to do to avoid credit card debt is live within your means. Avoid the temptation to, as Dave Ramsey says, buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think credit card debt is certainly one that's avoidable. I, I think uh, car payments are pretty common. Um, and I will confess that uh, when Lynn and I bought our first car, uh, our 1981 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, Ooh, Supreme. Nice. we financed it with the General Motors Acceptance Corporation. But we financed it for three years and we drove it for seven years. And in those four years, we didn't have a car payment. We saved a hypothetical car payment so that we could buy our second car and our subsequent cars with cash. Mm. So there are ways over time to avoid that, that auto debt. Um, student loans, I'm, I'm just I'm blown away by the amount of debt uh, kids are graduating with these days. And I can't imagine starting life without a car, without an apartment, without a home, but you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 of debt uh, hanging over us. So how do you avoid student debt? Well, you know, there certainly are, are, are scholarship opportunities, academically based scholarships, athletic, need-based. There's the opportunity to go to a community college for a couple of years, maybe work a part-time job, take a year off in between, save money for, for college. There, mm. there are ways to, to um, avoid that, that college debt. You know, I've, I've hired a lot of people over the years and, and never once have I focused on the name of the school on that diploma. I'm a lot more interested in who you are as a person and your capabilities, what you can do, mm. 
than that name. So, you know, you know sure, there's, there's a network of Harvard grads that are going to take <laughs> care of each other. But beyond that, you know, it, it, it's, I think it's far more important to get that degree and put it to work than to take on a, a lot of debt to, to go to a name. Sure. Tell me about the house stuff, because the mentality now is, well, I was approved for 350000 and so I'm going to go buy a house worth three fifty-five, right? I mean, I'm going to max out that capability with my house. Is that wise? Is yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, banks, mortgage companies, you know, they, they serve a, a wonderful purpose, um, but they are willing to lend you more than you might think is prudent. Mm. You know, they're going to get your down payment, and if you uh, don't make your payment, they'll take your house, and they'll get their money back one way or another. So I think it's really important to be careful when we take on mortgage debt, and, and a couple of things to keep in mind. One, I think you absolutely have to have uh, a reserve fund in the bank before you take on a mortgage. You know, and and uh, you know, general consensus is that reserve fund should be six months of take-home pay. You, that way you reduce the risk. You know, if you unexpectedly lose your job, you don't lose your house along with it. Uh, so you've got that reserve fund. And the other is to make sure that you take on a prudent amount of debt, a, a house payment that fits within your budget and doesn't stretch it. Mm. There's an interesting article that came out recently about the homeless population in Denver and that a vast majority, I forget the exact number, but a vast majority are homeless because um, of a medical expense that they were not prepared for and didn't have a reserve. And when they had to pay that first and didn't have enough money for the mortgage, suddenly they find themselves on the street. Yeah, and it happens that fast. Absolutely. It's amazing. Uh, for me, as, a, as an interesting passage, let me share one with you, church. Um, it talks about being a, a godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's as if those two things can be separate. And I think I probably struggle with that. Uh, maybe the godly piece I've got down, but that contentment piece I don't have down at all. That seems to be the heart of staying out of debt, right? It's just being satisfied with what you have or what you make and not trying to live someone else's life. Is that yeah, True. absolutely, and, and, and uh, I think I struggle with that uh, more than anything. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to, not to want um, and to put your faith in God. You know, the Bible reassures us on multiple occasions that God will take care of your needs as he defines them, not mm. as, as we define them, uh, regardless of your situation, uh, and that's difficult. But I think mm. living within your means is obviously what allows you to avoid debt. Okay. Let's talk about if you're in debt right now. Real practically speaking, I mean, there's some families in here probably totally strapped with debt. They can't see uh, up or down, can't see straight. What's a first step? What are some ways to get out of debt, to not be a slave to these debtors? Uh, it's difficult. Um, getting out of debt, you know, once you've reached a level that's unmanageable, is extremely difficult. And the reason it's so difficult is because it's, it's no longer a financial problem. It's a behavior problem. It's, it's our behaviors that have gotten us into that debt, and we need to modify that behavior. Um, when, when you and I ha had a, a discussion on this topic earlier, your response was, oh, oh, I know how to get out of debt. You, you pay off the loan with the highest interest rate first, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's not a bad idea. It's probably the most economical way to do it, but it doesn't necessarily modify behavior. You know, when, when uh, I, I coached for a long time and I studied a lot of good coaches, and when you have a player that's struggling, you try to find ways or situations where they can be successful, and it builds confidence, and then their performance comes back. And Dave Ramsey has an approach to debt repayment that's very similar. What, what uh, Dave says is you list all of your debts from smallest to largest, and you pay off that first debt 
or that smallest debt first. Okay. And then you take the money from, that you've been using to pay off that smallest debt, and you add some to it, and you pay off the next debt. And each time you build some confidence, you start to reassure yourself that this mountain is not too high to climb, mm. and you can work your way out of debt that way. So it, it may wind up costing you a little bit more than paying off that highest interest rate first, but I think it's probably got a much higher probability of modifying your behavior. Mm. You were telling me something interesting stat that, you know, those 90 days, same as cash advertisements, I take advantage of those all the time. Like, oh, I have three months now to pay for this instead of just today. What, what's the stat, though, of people who actually don't, don't do that? Yeah, I was stunned. You know, uh, you know, the most dangerous kinds of debt, I think, are certainly credit card debt because it's so easy to get and it's very expensive. But the 90 days, same as cash offer. As a finance guy, I've never done 90 days, same as cash, but I always think, it's a great idea. It's free money. You know, why pay it off now when I can pay it off later? And when I started to study some of the, the um, materials from Crown Financial and Financial Peace University, I was stunned to learn that people that take 90 days same as cash, nearly 80% don't pay it off within that 90 days. And what happens when you get 90 days same as cash is you sign a contract up front that says if you don't pay this off in 90 days, it converts to an installment contract and there's an exorbitant rate of interest mm -hmm. that reverts back to day one. So I, I think you know, credit dangerous. card debt and 90 days same as cash are, are dangerous yeah. forms of debt. So to honor the Lord, one of the ways is try to avoid debt uh, as best as we can. Try to honor the Lord and not be a master or a slave to somebody else. Another big thing, saving. Saving to me is like a foreign word. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, so tell me about saving. How much should we be saving? I mean, there's the 10, 10, 80 principle out there. How early should we be saving? Is there a number, right, to talk about this, this number for retirement that you should be saving? Talk to me a little bit about savings. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I think uh, clearly uh, the earlier you can save, the better. Um, and, and let's back up for a minute. You know, in one of our earlier conversations, you suggested some people even think that saving is not biblical. It shows that we don't trust the mm -hmm. Lord to care mm -hmm. for our needs. Um, which is an interesting view, and there certainly are plenty of, of uh, places in the Bible where Jesus has said things like, throw down your nets and follow me, Says as encourage us mm -hmm. to give it all. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that equally, there's plenty of places in the Bible that indicate we should be saving. And in fact, it would be irresponsible and non-biblical not to. Mm -hmm. uh, again, you go to Proverbs, Proverbs 21.20. You know, I, I usually read the New International Version of the Bible, but I think the Living Bible has a great interpretation of that. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. <laughs> Again, pretty clear, like, like some of your other examples. Um, so I think we are encouraged to save, and I think maybe the best example of saving in the Bible is in Genesis, where Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream to mean that there are going to be seven years of feastful, bountiful um, crops in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And so he says to Pharaoh, you know, I think you need to find a wise man to preside over the lands mm -hmm. of Egypt uh, and collect from those bountiful years so that we have grain to distribute in, in, the, in the lean years. Mm. Um, and and uh, Pharaoh, like every good leader, said, that's an excellent idea. You're the wise man. <laughs> Go for it. You're, you're hired. <laughs> so I think it, it definitely is prudent to save. You know, none of us uh, have the prophecy of Joseph, but I think you know, we're all going to have needs in the future, some of which are anticipated, many of which aren't, and it's mm -hmm. prudent to, to save for those needs. I think the danger in savings, and, and where some people say it may not be biblical, 
isn't saving too much. Saving yeah. beyond our needs at the expense of meeting others' needs. Yeah, the stockpiling idea yeah. and the hoarding. How much is too much? Is there a number or is that something you kind of have to decide with the Lord? Something you have to pray about? I, I think, you know, that's, that's clearly, uh, as you said last week, you know, what you give, what you have is between you and the Lord. There, there are, you know, for some people, a tithe, 10%, is going to be incredibly sacrificial. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it might seem impossible given their current cir circumstances. And for others, you know, 10% is, is not at all sacrificial. And so I think, you know, between you and the Lord, you need to determine what is enough and, and what is sacrificial. Mm -hmm. You brought up an interesting point at first service in that in different life stages, you always have those excuses, right? Like, well, the kids right now, uh, they're in college, and so we can't really save or, or give a lot because they're in college. But he said now his kids are out of college, but you have other concerns, right? They are, and, and, and you would ask me, I think, uh, you know, if, if um, our, our habits should change as we age. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know that it's, it's determined by age, but it's certainly determined by situation and by circumstance. Uh, as I said, our children are, are grown, they're out of the house, they're financially independent, or they appear to be, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and we don't have those household expenses anymore. But suddenly I'm seeing, you know what, as I get older, I have more medical expenses than I used to. And I have concerns uh, as to whether or not Medicare is going to be solvent when I need it in, in a few years. And what if I need long-term care? Uh, you know, how much is enough? And, and you know, I, I don't know that any of us knows the answer to that question, and that's that's where we have to turn these things over to the Lord and, and understand that he will provide yeah. uh, regardless of our situation. It's a trust exercise whether you're making minimum wage as a college student, right, or making uh, six figures later on. It's a trust exercise. Yeah, I had uh, somebody come up to me after the first service and say, you know, I have been tithing my whole life. I, I began tithing when I had, was making $300 a month, and now... You know, I have multiple homes. I'm completely debt-free, mm. uh, and it's a, it's a testament to you know, the Lord has taken care of me because I've honored his, his request to tithe. Yeah. Let's talk real fast about budgeting because this is another foreign word to me. I'm, a lot of self-disclosure this morning, church, all right? I spend money. <laughs> I don't know where I'm spending it. Um, how, how, do you, how do you enjoy life, though? You're talking about giving and saving. It's like, can I use my money for good for, for me? Can I go buy some stuff? If so, how? Should I have it like in a glass jar? And when it's gone, it's gone, right? There's an envelope system that someone created back in the day. Do I need to have like an allowance that Becca gives me so I can go buy things without feeling guilty? What do you think? Budget on paper, you know, Excel spreadsheet. What, what do you think about budgeting? Well, if there's self-disclosure, my disclosure is I'm a nerd. I love <laughs> numbers. I think budgeting is fun. Oh, you're a sick man. Yeah, I, 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 love, <laughs> I love numbers. You know, if you, go to, if you go to the Internet, it will tell you that the numbers game Sudoku was invented by a gentleman in Carlisle, Indiana in 1979. I promise you, I invented Sudoku <laughs> in Mrs. Callahan's math class in 1966. I just didn't have the foresight to do anything. Ah, what could have been, man? What could have so, been? I love numbers. I love budgeting. I realize that doesn't come uh, naturally to everybody. Um, but I don't think we can meet our biblical objectives of giving generously, saving, and avoiding debt without a budget. You know, what gets measured gets managed. You mm. have to understand what's coming in and how it's going out in order to control it. Um, so I think a written budget is, is absolutely essential. And, and, and in addition to being essential to meeting those biblical objectives, I think it's really important for relationships where finances are shared because the handling of money is ripe mm. for mm. disagreement and arguments. It, it, you know, it may be that uh, 
your husband brings home a couple of nice sweaters that he found and he tells you how much he saved on them because they were on sale. Or, or your wife comes home and says, I've got the newest Callaway Big Bertha driver in my golf bag now. Becca does that all the time. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of opportunities for, for disagreement over finances. And I think if you sit down as a couple and agree beforehand how the money's going to be spent, and as you suggest, maybe there's a discretionary amount for you and for your spouse where you don't have to clear it with each other. That's, mm. that's you know, money to be spent the way you want to. You've agreed on those things in advance instead of perhaps arguing about them uh, after the fact. I love that line, what gets measured gets managed. When you put it on paper, it just it, it takes a different form, doesn't it? Absolutely. And when you start to, there's even um, programs out there. He was telling me about an, an app called Mint which will track your spending habits for you and categorize them if you use your debit card for everything. So if you go out to eat a lot, it will show you how much in the course of the month you've spent on, uh, on eating, on eating out, or entertainment, or whatever it might be. And that can be very eye-opening to realize I've blown several hundred dollars on food or coffee drinks or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think um, you know, the folks on this side of the room probably know how to balance a checkbook. The fo folks over here, you guys probably all know about Mint, right? <laughs> There's an app for that. Um, and, and I'm not sure either of my kids could balance a checkbook. They just, they've never had to, right? Mm. But they've got an app that, mm -hmm. that does that for them you know, and lets them know what's coming in and where it's going out. Yeah. You talk about the spirit. Let's just end with that. I mean, how do you develop a, a spirit of, of cheerfulness, right? It says he wants a cheerful giver. What do you think? Any suggestions? I mean, you mentioned flipping the understanding of it's mine versus it's his. Any other suggestions on how to become a cheerful giver? Where you see giving and saving and not going into debt as, as a form of worship, as a form of discipleship? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, I don't know that I have any, any, you know, I never had an epiphany of this is how to do it. It mm -hmm. just kind of happened over time. So I guess my advice would be just do it. <laughs> um, and, and, and you see, you know, that it is, in fact, far better to give than to receive. Mm. Um, and, and obviously, you know, go to the Lord in prayer for direction yeah. how to handle your finances and, and what is sacrificial. Folks tell me a lot of times, it doesn't always feel good to do good, but you still got to do it. They use that, it's a cheerful giver, like, well, I'm not real happy about giving, so I'm just not going to do it. Well, that doesn't give you an excuse. Yeah, cheerful and sacrificial don't necessarily sound like they should go together. Yeah. Uh, but, but I would just say, do it and, yeah. and, and find out that they are. Church, I hope that you're seeing that, that your spirit uh, in all of this matters, but so does the practical stuff, right? I mean, I have an example of Bailey a few, a few years ago buying me a birthday gift. I think it was a packet of golf balls or whatever, or it was a sweater, sweater, not a golf ball. Um, and uh, she bought it out of her own money, right, her own allowance money. And that morning, she was just so excited. You could tell something was like up because she wanted me to find the gift on the dining room table. And I love that she bought it out of her own money for me. But what I love the most was how excited she was that she was giving it to me. Does that make sense? And I think the Lord wants us to do that with giving, saving, not going in debt. He wants us to be so excited about the opportunities. And he, he'll be happy with the stuff, the money itself. But I think he'll really be happy with your spirit. It's hard to get to that point. Paul, thank you. Church, let's thank Paul this morning for sharing some insight with us. There's a lot of verses out there, church, a lot of things that speak about this. Let me just share a few more with you, and then we'll continue in worship. Uh, two passages that came to my heart last night as I was thinking through this. First Timothy 6, verses 5, and 10, uh, 5 through 10, and then continuing 7 through 19. It says this. There are those who think that godliness is a means to financial gain, 
But godliness without contentment, oh, that's great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a lot of temptations and traps and do many foolish and harmful things that plunge people into ruin and destruction because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. So instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the certainty of their riches because their riches are uncertain, but to place their faith and trust in God who richly supplies all the things that we need and who does so that we can enjoy them. Instruct everyone to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for yourselves treasures of a good foundation for the future so you may take hold of the abundant life that Christ promised. Great truth there, isn't it? And we can practically live that out. Giving, saving, not falling into debt. That's how we can honor the Lord with all 100%. Let me pray us out. We'll have one more song uh, this morning. God, we want to honor you with our finances, Father. As Paul has mentioned, it's a big part of our life and a big part of our world. From the first job that we got to the job that we have now, Lord. To some people staying at home and not having a job any longer, God. To those who retired from a job. Uh, money, money management, investment, savings, spending, credit cards, Lord, offers at Target. We're all inundated with this stuff, God. We want to honor you with it. We don't want to just be a Christian on Sundays and in this space. We want to be a Christian every day and, and, and with every aspect of our lives. And so we give you our finances now. Even as we take our offering this morning, God, we hope that it is truly that, an expression of gratitude, an opportunity to worship you, an opportunity to be so excited that we get to give back to you and partner with you in different ways. I just pray that West Bowles Church has a totally different cross-centered view on money as a result of the conversation that we've had today. Help us to honor you. Help us not to fall into debt. Help us to save. Help us to give. God, help us to be the people that you want us to be and help us to manifest that through our finances. Make it so now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.